you are live. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Spurts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. We are on the we're on the eve of one of the most fun international sports betting competitions of the entire calendar year 2021. Euro 2020. <laughs> so with, uh, with, without, uh, and honestly, at long last, uh, I think everybody's made this joke probably, but uh, at long last, we've had to wait an extra year for this. Um, but it will be worth the wait because the, even some of my takes, if we had done this a year ago, have changed pretty dramatically considering the form of some of these players are changing as we see it. Um, yeah. and we were very cannot- pro-Dutch. <laughs> I was pro Dutch. I'm not now. I was nope. pro Belgium. I'm a little cool on them now. I was cool, cool on Italy. Now white hot on Italy. So I'm all over the map here. Uh, but uh, we need to get a little clarity on all of this. We have reached out to a true expert in the space, a guy who provided uh, a massive, massive amount of info through the We Love Betting Guide, which is uh, something that I really appreciated. You know, last time you guys did this for the World Cup, so figured. Uh, you know, best to bring on an expert, someone from the uh, European, you know, I guess not really from the European Union anymore, but somebody yeah, from, whoa, touchy subject, buddy, <laughs> somebody right from Europe uh, <laughs> to help us understand what to expect from Euro 2020. Uh, so without further ado, Tom Love, welcome to the Deep Dive. Thank you very much indeed, Drew. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys chatting about Soccer, I'd best call it that. I shouldn't have, but yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing for this tournament, mate. I cannot wait. Um, it's been a long old season in the domestic leagues that's just dragged on forever. And really, <laughs> <laughs> what everyone wants is tournament football. They want games on every day that are going to be good atmospheres, hopefully with a few fans back in the grounds. Um, just games all over Europe as well, something different this time around. So yeah, I can't wait for it to start. It's been a long old wait, as you as you mentioned. So yeah, um, can't wait, man. We got a question right away. Is Tom from England? Yes. Do you have a? <laughs> and I, I don't even know that. Yeah, you got you got your you got your uh, kid on. Get today. your kid you on. A, yeah. Yeah. Who is your Who's your club team though? And I mean, are we are we? Did they do well? <laughs> um, well I'm not sure how many people. From your end of the pond, we'll know about Bradford City. Um, they're my favourite team. That's where I'm from. I'm from Bradford, so the broad accent. I'm a Yorkshireman. If any listeners have been over here, they'll be to the north of England in Yorkshire. So it's it's completely different to what you probably get on, on your show with maybe London-based guests and stuff like that. We're, we're nowhere near London. We're right up north. So, yeah, um, Bradford City is my team. We're in the fourth division in England, so it's pretty rubbish, if I'm honest. It, it's, <laughs> it's hard to watch, especially this season. We finished in the bottom half of the bottom league, so yeah, it, it's been a <laughs> So yeah, I'm, ba- I'm basically being an England fan, not a Bradford fan this summer so yeah only nowhere nowhere to go but up for for the bantams <laughs> that, that's my that's my favorite part about the just the whole english pyramid 
of mm. all the teams is like it'd be like you know I said like who's your favorite baseball team Drew and you're like you know the Durham Bulls like <laughs> I like just Durham Bulls. Well, no I, I mean like, better better no and that's yeah. why I picked that but like picking like a triple A AAA team rather than like the local the closest yeah. uh, professional team because it just goes so far down I I mean the the guys we talked to NFL with from uh, from over there. Like both of their club teams, I think, were like championship yeah, or, for sure. or league one for sure. So, no, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, England probably looking to fare a little better than Brad for this, uh, this uh, <laughs> month. Well, how long does this one take? You know, we were just asking you off air about the World Cup. What is it? What is the actual date of the final? I don't have that right in front of me. Uh, I think it's around the ninth. It's usually like the second week in July. When it, it, it tend, these tournaments tend to last give or take a month. So, yeah, we're, we're probably looking about a month from now. Yeah, ninth looks like a Friday, so it's probably Sunday the 11th. I think it starts on the 11th, so I think you nailed yeah. it. I think June 11th to July 11th is oh, probably Oh, yep, I found it July 11th. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Well, uh, I guess we probably ought to get started with uh, the easy question. Uh, is it coming home? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I am... <laughs> I'm ever the pessimist, Drew. Okay, so, okay. Um, I, I always kind of say with bated breath whenever it's coming home, but it, it was a big thing kind of for the World Cup, the 2018 World Cup. Like, it got everyone on side, mainly. So, yeah, I, I think the, this pit, it's usually so pessimistic with England, but we've got plenty of good young players coming through who are really exciting everyone in the country, so... Um, is it coming home? Um, the bookmakers think so. I mean, we're second favourites. So um, I'm, I'm sure a lot, if you ask a lot of people in England, should England be second favourites, they'd be saying no chance. Yeah. But um, it, it goes to show how kind of well-regarded the team is now, kind of worldwide and, and around the continent. So is it coming home? Um, I'm just going to say no because then I'll jinxed it if I'd have said yes. And okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get we'll get back to England because they have we'll a get fascinating. To their draw. Yeah, their their draw is all kinds of interesting. And realistically, I think the no on England is is probably the biggest plus EV bet on the board right now. But I just want to yeah. know when the right time is. Like, is the mm -hmm. right time to bet it now or better later on? But we'll get to some of the specifics of the draw, some of the nuances of English, you know, the England's path. Um, but before we go there, let's kind of talk to give the people a little bit of information. You guys, again, put out just a spectacular guide kind of breaking down all the nuance of this tournament, all the, the kind of strengths, weaknesses of the teams. Um, but maybe the most important and fascinating part of it was the second page <laughs> or really or really the the second fold uh mm. where you kind of break down the venues um and uh you know who who has home advantage in terms of um you know where the games are being played in the group stage because this is totally unlike your average euro where it's all conducted in one country and you're just moving around within the borders of a small country in europe this is spread out across the entire continent um, is Azerbaijan even in the continent of Europe, or is it really actually in Asia? It, I, I feel like yeah. Is that, Baku, I Asia? Looked, uh, Baku and Asia. by the way, I brought first that up ever Euro game chat. in Asia. I think this yeah, might be Bob. the first ever Euro game in Asia. Anyway, go ahead. Baku Baku's having a month though. With Baku the is having now this, but like yeah, that's uh, that was probably the most, and maybe it's because it was right at the beginning, and I got to that too in the guide. And that, you know, to piggyback off Drew's question, what you know, like is it does it matter that much for some of these teams? With the disc, you know, the time between some of these 
the pool games. So you, they do the, you know, if people don't really follow this, you do a round robin with the, the three other teams in your group to decide if you make it out of the group. And some of these teams have like five hour flights in between some of these matches where, you know, you're going through, I don't know, maybe Drew, you have, the, if you yeah, had you know, one of the better I, examples, yes, but like best example, Rome, group Amsterdam, a. Bucharest. Start, there. Start, start with group a Italy, Italy is quote, quote, quote unquote, the host. Uh, they play all three of their group matches in Rome. Uh, the other three teams go back and forth between Rome and Baku. That's a five-hour flight that crosses two time zones. This isn't like the NFL where you're spread out with games every week. Like You only have a couple of days between matches. And the, think about the difference between Italy, who gets three games at home in Rome, versus Switzerland, who goes to Baku, flies to Rome, and then back to Baku for the third batch. Like, this is crazy disparity in terms of travel here. Um, I guess what is your temper? What is your temperature on this, Tom? Am I making too much of this, or is this uh, an angle that's already been built into the lines, uh, or do you think this is going to manifest a realistic uh, betting betting advantage? Tough to say. Did Tom hear my question? Am I frozen? No, I can hear you. Yeah, Tom, do you think um, that in general, the uh, the disparity of travel between some, some of these clubs manifests uh, a betting edge? Or do you think the numbers are pretty fairly reflected in the market? I think we lost him. Yeah, lost I think he froze up a little there. What do you think, Andy? Well, yeah, it sucks. This is like the... This is like the Seattle going to the East Coast thing. RIP. We've got we've got an Italian in the chat. He he does not think it's England. It's coming home this year. But yeah, hopefully Tom pops back in here quick. I don't know. So I'm just looking at that chart. Yeah, that you can say like oh maybe the travel doesn't matter, but there's certainly huge advantages for some of these teams like Italy. All of them at home. The is England all at home. England is all at home, and not England's only just home. not then, only and then all one, at home, one but Scotland too. Yeah. England is all at home, and not only that, but their first match in the um, in the knockout stage would be at home. Yeah, Denmark has an advantage; they play all three games in Copenhagen. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Netherlands is an advantage; they play all three games in Amsterdam. Um, you have Germany with the advantage Germany's in the Group of Death, Group F, all three matches Every, in, Munich. in Munich. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, yeah, I would, I personally think this is probably the most important handicapping angle. Like, I feel like you can realistically sift through, uh, some of the teams that have potential, uh, for doing well, um, in the group stage and or, uh, performing poorly, uh, wow. depending on, uh, whether or not the, you know, the travel angle helps. I mean, like, I guess we go back to Switzerland. That's the one that really sticks out, like, blaring, like, holy crap, Switzerland has to go back and forth across two time zones. Um, and, you know, that, and they're second choice right now in Group A. And that's a, one of those teams where I feel like they, number one, are a little weaker than the market expects. And number two, this advantage might just absolutely nuke them. Um, so I feel like you can take a, a pretty hefty swing against a team like Switzerland, and that should open up the door for uh, the likes of a Turkey or, um, uh, you know, uh, probably not, but but maybe Wales. Uh, it's tough to say. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm leaning more towards Turkey there. But yeah, and some of them aren't as bad. Like Munich, Munich to Budapest isn't a long flight, and really, it's not like oh, Hungary's going to play really, really tough at home against 
something like, no, these teams are so far, so far much better than, than Hungary. It's not going to really matter with some of these, the, whatever you want to call it, the alternate home sites for some of these teams. London, Glasgow aren't far. Seville, St. Petersburg is a little bit of a, a jaunt, I suppose, for yeah. Spain. But again, Spain Spain should win all their matches. Well, Although it a, is, it is yeah. tough to win all your matches. Seville, like, yeah, Seville St. Petersburg is fun because you're going from uh, the cold weather of St. Petersburg potentially to the heat of Seville, Spain. Uh, you know, if you're one of the like who who there is one uh, one unfortunate draw that has to make that trip. Uh, I want to say it was uh, Slovakia uh, that has to go from two matches in St. Petersburg to one in Seville. Uh, which will be a difficult adjustment. So I guess uh, to kind of circle back, Tom, thank you for rejoining us. Sorry for the uh, technical difficulties there. Um, but do you think that the general difficult travel here is an actionable angle to fade some teams and to support some others that have uh, an advantage in the group stage? Yeah, uh, totally. It's something that we've highlighted in the guide that I'm sure you'll have seen. And um, yeah, apologies for breaking up there, but I, I believe the team that I'm kind of looking at trying to get against in this regard is Switzerland, who have to, they probably have the most arduous task. Um, I quite like them to finish bottom of the group. It's Group A, it's quite a, quite a difficult um, and tight group, really. I mean, Italy are the front runners, of course, but then Turkey, Wales and Switzerland, there's not much between them. So you've got to kind of look at how you can get against one of them sides. And Switzerland, they've got to, well, they're based in Baku and then they're traveling to Rome for the second game against Italy and then back to Baku for what could be a crucial game against Turkey. Um, and that's really far from ideal. I mean, it's what's a 4,000 mile round trip to time zones. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty sure you might have covered all this, so I do apologize. So, no, we um, totally agree. Yeah, I mean, they're the team that I'm looking to get against. Um, the manager, Vladimir Petkovic, uh, for Switzerland, he's an experienced campaigner at this level. He's, he's well well kind of revered and recognized on the international circuit, but he, he's tried to kind of change the style of Switzerland to more passing uh, passing out of the back but they used to be quite direct and quite simple and defensive and it worked okay for them but trying i think if you're looking at the teams who switzerland are going to be coming up against two teams in wales and turkey who'll be happy to play on the break against them um and it might even play into the hands of turkey and wales especially with um the pace that they have going forward so yeah the team that i'll be looking to fade in that regard would be switzerland uh, first and foremost. A lot of the others, um, there's not much distance. So in England's group, like Croatia and Czech Republic, they're only up in Scotland yeah. at Hamden, um, which is nothing. Uh, even in the group of death, if you want to call it that, group F, um, it's between Munich and Budapest. I mean, a lot, a lot of domestic travel in, in the domestic leagues is longer than that. So, um, yeah, the, the only other one that you're looking at is probably uh, between Russia and Copenhagen, I think it is. Still, they're, they're trying to be quite accommodating um, with the travel, but the one that really stands out is that uh, group there. So, yeah, whoever's going to be playing that game away from the base second, you've got to be looking at that as a real disadvantage for them. And um, Switzerland looked to be the fall guy in that regard. Yeah, a lot, a lot different from the last time we did a men's tournament where everything was 
I mean, everything was just in Russia, right? For World Cup. Mm-hmm. Like and and for the most and yeah, Russia's a big country, but for the most part, it was pretty composed. And I'm a little snake bit. Maybe maybe I'll be fine betting against Switzerland. Little snake bit against them. I remember I bet. Oh, it wasn't Croatia. Croatia did well. What's the other ball? Serbia. I bet Serbia against Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And then those guys went nuts, and they're all throwing up the double eagles, and everybody's yeah. freaking out. And I'm like, well, I didn't know they hated each other this much. I might have stayed away <laughs> from this game. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta bone up on my European history a little before I start betting these matches. Like these guys aren't even Swiss. What's going on? The other uh, team I want to point out that got screwed was Poland. Poland has to go St. Petersburg. Seville, St. Petersburg. That's yeah. pretty. That's some pretty serious flying as well. With one I think good player. Yeah, with <laughs> yeah, right. And a, yeah, a team that without an identity. I think Poland to finish fourth might be a fun play. Also, um, this is a great question. Let's get to Kellen mm-hmm. uh, right here. At some point, could we explain the format and how some third place teams will still advance? Okay. So, uh, Andy, while I'm talking, if you could pull up um, any, if you want to pull, actually, I could probably pull it up here. Uh, how this works out. Um, they There are two ways to make it from the group stage into the knockout stage. First of all, there are um, six groups of four teams. So we have 24 teams competing for this title. Um, the winner and second place team in every group advances immediately to the knockout stage. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the best four of the six third place teams also advance. And there is some, there's already basically preceding on where everyone will land in terms of first and second place within the knockout bracket. Uh, The third place is a little bit more uh, kind of up in the air. You have a little bit more, depends on which four teams, uh, and then end up in which four spots. We will bring bring this full circle when we get to the end talking about predictions because presumably the third best team in the group of death so we'll we'll just we'll the last time Pencil we'll say group in. of death. Yeah. For, last time we'll say group of death. You have Germany, France, and Portugal all in the same group. Those are three of the top five or eight teams in this tournament, probably. Uh, and the fact that they all have to play each other, there's going to be a little bit of attrition, right? But they all get to play Hungary, so they're probably all going to at least get one win, which gives you three points. And if you are a third place team with at least three points. Last year, Portugal was in that. Last time around in Euro, Portugal was in that situation. They advance into the knockout stage with the three-point win that they had. Um, so it's it's likely if you get that win against Hungary and you're third place in Group F, you're still going to make it into the knockout. And then you're kind of like a landmine, right? Like no one wants to play the third best team in Group F in the first round of the knockout stages. It, it's gonna it's gonna nuke someone. We don't really know who right now. Uh, and that's kind of the fun and intriguing way that of looking at the bracket and the knockout stages in general. Um, but it's going to be, yeah, Dan brings it up. Portugal was the third place team in 2016. They get through based on one win in the group stage, and then they won the whole damn thing. Uh, so it's it's crazy how that can uh, you know kind of manifest. But um, it's a it's a really fun format. Every team within the group will play each other round robin, uh, and then we'll do the knockout seating and uh, you know go through uh, round of 16 quarterfinals semifinals finals so it's a it's a great uh great exciting way to play this uh you know to to set this up which is why it makes it such a a fun tournament to watch um and realistically you can argue that it's a stronger field top to bottom than the likes of the world cup if you really want to be honest uh and so it's it should be an absolutely fantastic tournament there's no there's no Concacaf teams (laughs) (laughs) there's no no (laughs) <laughs> That's a good point. I just had though, like Portugal, they won it of course 2016, but 
They didn't even win a game in the group. Oh, they had three ties? They drew three games. Um, nil, I can remember a terrible nil-nil, um, and they had a really entertaining 3-3 three, three against Spain. So they didn't even win a game. Um, I think they only won one game in 90 minutes in the entire tournament, and they won the tournament. So it just goes to show how um, just because a side's won in the past, don't just bet on them to win outright in the games because draws... Uh, there's something that I'm going to be targeting quite, quite, like really, really on top of the draws just because you usually get good odds on them and it usually works out for both sides quite, quite pleasurably for both um, at different stages in the tournament as well. So, yeah, I kind of just throw a bit of caution towards that. I got you. I got you. The, the only the only game that Portugal won was, was against Wales, and Wales were decent in that game, the semi final. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean the the draws are, are something to definitely look at. Well, and um, hopefully we have better options. Like <clears throat> we didn't have that great of options over on this side of the pond for betting World Cup. <clears throat> I wanted to just bet that it goes to penalties in a game, and yeah. it I, I searched it like eight different books. It was not an option. I ended up having to do the, you know, it's like the six way. Uh, it was England. I think England Croatia. It was like. England wins in regulation, England wins in extra time, England wins in penalties. I just yeah. bet both teams to win in penalties. That was the only way I just doubled my stake. Like, yeah. It was the only way to bet that. So hopefully the options are a little better because I love stuff like that too. And nobody likes to bet the draw over here. Like there's probably <laughs> there's probably value on American facing books and basically every single draw. I'm pretty sure that there is, um, yeah. especially because you can look – I mean – that was an old trick, you know. You look at uh, a book like Penny. You look at their draw price. You look at your book. There was almost always value on the draw um, compared to what you know a, a low margin price would be. Um, what uh, I guess. Let me kind of take a step backwards and ask you a little bit about your soccer handicapping process. Are you a data-driven guy? Do you think that the uh, you know that the data explosion in soccer over the last several years has kind of given hand, you know people who are in the analytics kind of minded uh, side of things, given them an advantage? And do you think that the data that we have available for international soccer is actually useful? Uh, yeah, I do, I do think it's definitely useful. Um, whether it's the be-all and end-all, I'm not so sure because at the end of the day, the books of the people with the money, they've got exactly the same data that every punter could possibly have. So it's about <laughs> how you use that data. Um, it's like, it, so you've got you've got that as a nice base. I always look at their kind of expected goals and stuff like that, shots, shots in the box, different ratios like that before I kind of do my own prices um but then you've got to like kind of look deeper to try and find the nuances where you could get value and that that could be anything from as we mentioned travel um injuries form blah 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 manager quotes um there's quite a lot of interest nowadays over here in kind of philosophy and managerial philosophy psychology and how how kind of managers react to certain things so if a manager is reacting quite badly after a loss kind of calling out his players then that could mean that they're 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 quite down on themselves and they're, they're not going to perform for him in the next game alternatively if the group's a different mindset then it could boost them um you've just got to look even deeper for to try and find value because as i said the books have all the data that we have <laughs> um so it, use it as a base but don't use it 
to try and score too much value. It's always worth looking, but um, most of the time there's not, and that's where you've got to kind of look a little bit deeper and dig into different markets too. Have you, uh, Andy, have you looked at all at the data that exists for international? Do you, what, do you, what do you make of it? A little. It is tougher for me because it's one of those things where it's not like club soccer or really any other sports. I mean, to me, it's like, hey, go t- go handicap, you know, the Pro Bowl based on how the all these teams did or all these individuals did. You know, it is different watch, watching them play together. It is nice that you get some friendlies and some some you know, chances to watch some of these teams play as, as a squad, even if it's not the whole squad every time, but getting, getting to see some of that helps. But yeah, I haven't dug too much into the data for, you know, the international teams just because it's, it is a little more limited than, you know, while these guys, most of their matches are played with their clubs all year. So I wonder if some people are able to just take some of that individual data from their club, you know, their club play or some of, I guess when's the last time some of these teams played together? You know, if at all, for some of the big turnover, you know, you had you had 18 World Cup, and there's some international matches, international friendlies, and whatnot. But it's trickier in that regard, and you know, also too, just the fact that we're doing it a year later, we're doing it with weird scheduling for travel. Not not even getting it sucks too. Like the, the people, I think the only full capacity ones are like Romania's not in the tournament for sure and like they're they're going full capacity i feel like there was maybe one other one that was like heavy heavy capacity like 50 percent or better i think baku so i mean it'll be nice to have the fans but again it'd be a lot cooler to see wembley with ninety thousand rather than what they're gonna be although we'll take anything it's like the bills nfl uh, playoff game from last season where, where they would they end up like 15,000 fans out of yeah, however many and it, and it, it sounded, sounded like, it sounded sounded like, like a wall of sound. Yeah. yeah it sounded so, like, yeah. I'm very pumped for the fans, but uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't dug much into the data yet. I've been spending my time handicapping men's Olympic trampoline lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, have you uh, given any thought to just how the quality of soccer will look in this tournament, considering the way that the, you know, the, the league's, played out with the compressed schedule and there could be some fatigue issues or uh, do you think that these guys are professionals? They're going to play the way they play, you know, because I don't know in world cup years, there's sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect between how, you know, some players approach the professional leagues versus the the national leagues. Um, you know, what is your just general expectation of the quality of play expectations? Yeah, I think it could be a little bit worse, if I'm honest. Um, if you chuck in the travel and et cetera as well, it, it's not going to help. But if you look at Chelsea and Man, Man City players, they obviously played in the Champions League final not even a fortnight ago, was it? Um, and that that's going to affect them. I mean, we, I follow um, kind of who's coming in and out of the England squad and, and the likes of Phil Foden for England. Uh, Mason Mount of Chelsea, Kyle Walker at Man City, these players who are key for the national team have only just um, kind of arrived. They've not even played yet, really. So, yeah, they're going to be kind of knackered. Usually you get a bit more of a... You've got more kind of three, four weeks to rest and recoup uh, your energy and kind of get back to it. But as you said, it's been so condensed, especially since January, um, with Europe football and Chelsea and Man City as well have gone far in domestic cup competitions. So players from um, them two teams specifically, maybe Manchester United as well, with their long run into the Europa League final might might kind of feel 
a bit knackered and yeah it could affect things um they they could be a kind of wearing thing especially as the tournament goes on i think they'll be full of kind of verve and energy in the opening games just because of it's a different atmosphere it's a completely different game really international football tournament football but um kind of a, as the teams go to the last stages that fatigue element could really tell um so you've got to also factor that into your kind of betting um i think it is going to play a big part to be honest yeah so you're saying psg going out early actually did france a solid <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah they've, they've got that all all planned out for sure <laughs> yeah, I think I can agree with Tom on maybe it affecting down the road a little deeper into the tournament. Maybe when yeah. we get into knockouts, because you can be well. I'll say knack. I was going to say tired, but I'm going to say knackered. Knackered, like yeah, that. of course. Knackered, knackered is a solid word. Knackered. I haven't heard that in a while, but yeah. they will be. They will be a little knackered because of you know how deep they went. But you get even at again reduced capacity. You get out there. You're wearing. You know, you're wearing the three lines like Tom. You get out there in front of the Wembley crowd. What is England's first? Like, they're going to be pumped. Croatia, they, right? They'll Oh, they'll have plenty of energy for that, you would think. But probably later in the tournament, this is going to wear down on you a little. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm on board with that entirely. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of these groups, and let's start with the good one, <laughs> Group F, which we've already <laughs> touched on a couple of times. Um, but really, maybe, maybe even a step back looking at France in particular, because we've just brought them up. Um, they've been on my radar for a long time as a likely, uh, to defend their world cup championship with a Euro title, uh, just on the basis of talent, top level talent, scoring talent, Mbappe, probably the best player in this tournament. Um, you know, I guess, is there a gap between France and the next best team in Europe and, you know, in your opinion and, uh, how wide is that gap? Um, no, I don't think there's much of a gap. To be honest, um, I think France deserved to win it. Uh, definitely at the World Cup, they, they were the best side. Um, but they've got so much depth uh, in their ranks that it can be quite hard to pick an eleven for them. Um, they, they could field about six or seven different teams, and they'd all be pretty competitive. Um, do I think there's a massive gap between them and the rest? I think there is a gap. But I think the fact that they're not at home is also factored into the odds. Oh. I think if they were, if they had games in Paris, um, they'd, they'd be a little bit shorter than the price that they are right now. Um, they're fair favourites, though, because you look at them, the midfield that they have with N'Golo Kante, who's arguably been one of the best players in England for a long time now. I think he could be a bet if you've got any kind of markets for player of the tournament, something like that. Um, okay. It was a big price. Um, I put him up in the guide at 66 to 1. Um, no. shot, shortened into around 25 to 1. Uh, so, yeah, there's plenty of loving for him. And players like that who just don't seem to get tired um, is it, going to be a mass, massive plus for them. But, yeah, the fact that they've not got home advantage could play a bit of a, a factor. They've, no games at all are in France because they had... Obviously, the the World Cup, uh, the last year, I sorry, stage there, so that they're not getting a look in, which is um, good for all the other teams. Uh, but yeah, I think that I think that they are better. Um, I think they've got a good manager with a proven track record with the national team too, both as a player and a manager. So yeah, I, I think that they're fair, they're fair favourites, but I don't think there's too much of a gap. I think the betting at the top of the market is pretty much bang on. Okay. 
And he's muted because he was typing probably. Oh yeah. I mean, there's some spacing in there, but I mean, it's a good point. Like even, even when they get into the the knockout rounds, it'll be like Bucharest, St. Petersburg, and then back to London. Like they, they aren't playing remotely close to home really. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a good way to put a little starch on those odds. And yes, they are the favorites for a reason. I still think they'll probably win. We filled up Drew and I filled up brackets on like the, the official UEFA site or where did we do that? And yeah. like there's a contest where you, you fill out the groups and it fills your bracket out and we did it all the way. And uh, we, we shared them with each other and we both had France winning. So right. <laughs> la- la- lazy takes, but boy, it's hard to, it's hard to like put it there and be like, Oh man, they could get knocked out here. Uh, the only outright bet I have in my pocket right now is France. And I don't even know if now is the right, I, like, I, cause I guess obviously if you're going to play the futures market, in my opinion, you're entirely trying to lock in um, best, value best price possible and i don't even really know that i made a good bet on france because i don't know that they even win uh group f but it might not probably doesn't matter uh because they're still likely going to make it into the field of uh 16 and at that point like there's you know they're the team no one else wants to play like it's not you know they're going to be a meaningful favorite in pretty much every possible head-to-head i could come up with except you know, maybe it's a little close if they're playing England in round one in Wembley. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, that's a little bit more even. Um, but uh, you know, it's I guess it's it's worth mentioning uh, a little bit how the you know how they would work into the draw if they um, were they to win Group F, F, then they're on the top half, and they would get an easy a third place opponent in round one, and then likely. Probably Croatia in round two. Probably second second in, in Group D in round two. Yeah, um, and that would be fun. A little France Croatia rematch of the World Cup uh, in the quarterfinals of Euro. Um, but uh, you know, were they to stumble, were they to land in the second best in Group F, then you're probably talking about England France in round one. Yeah. Um, I guess are is it being is too much being made of England's potential round, you know, knockout round matchup, given that there's so many moving parts between now and then. Uh, and I guess data nine are kind of jumping the gun here. Like, yeah, I'm going to lay England eventually, but I want to do it at the right possible time. Like I yeah. don't want to do it now and then watch them go stomp Croatia and then cruise through group D and see the price get better, you know, to lay. So um, I guess what is your expectation of the path for England? Are they uh, a clean winner in group D uh, and then into the tournament knockout stages? Uh, what are some of the limitations with this team in terms of their ability to kind of make their way through the, through the, uh, um, through the bracket? Well, I think that if they do finish top, there's been a lot of talk over here about should we just try and finish second because you're going to avoid one of these teams. And I, I can see, I can see the the merit in that. But then again, you've got to play if you want to win, which is the ultimate aim. You've got to play these teams at one point. If you knock them out in the round of sixteen, it's one less team you, you don't have to worry about in the way to stages as well. And also, I think that if England can kind of... Say if England got seven or nine points in the group stage um, and they could kind of ride on that wave, teams are probably looking at England and fearing them. Um, trying to look at an out, outsider, kind of if you're looking at a French media outlet or somewhere like that, they'll, they'll be thinking, oh, we don't want to play England if, after, that, uh, after that strong group stage. So, yeah, I, I think that they will try and win the group. I think that it's 
a bit too it, it'll put a dampener on things if they just try and just see out a, a second spot because they're going to have to play one of these teams at some point. And even if they finish second, um, the quarterfinal draw will probably be quite tough too. What's um, what's the best, yeah, what's I mean, the best yeah, case scenario who finishes second in Group F for them? Germany um, or Portugal? Germany. Germany. Yeah, I, I, I would personally say Germany. Um, I, I've kind of warmed a bit towards Germany over the last kind of month or so. Um, obviously, their under-21s just won the European Championships this week as well. So, they're, they're a side that people should fear just because they've got pace up front as well. Um, they've got players who have been a class above in midfield uh, in the, in Europe with like yeah, Real Kai Gundogan. Um, jo- Joshua Kimmich at Bayern Munich as well has been phenomenal. Godetska. So, yeah, I would still say them mainly because... I look at France and Portugal, and they will be my two, two of my stronger, stronger players that will come on to, towards the end. Um, just because of the manager, manager on both yeah. side. Um, you've got Deschamps at France, who's won it before. He's won it as a player. He knows how to set his side up pragmatically, which is massive in the, in these kind of tournaments. You've got to be defensive minded too, um, because. One one offensive game and you could just get caught out and that's it, that's it, you're gone. There's, there's no coming back from that. There's no second chances in the knockout. So uh, exactly the same with Portugal and Fernando Santos, their manager who's won it with Greece. He won it with Portugal as well um, just uh, five years ago. So, yeah, I think them teams are going to be much more tricky to face. I think England have a, would have a much better chance at beating Germany. Um <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't really say that because we don't have much luck against the Germans, but I think, <laughs> I think that we could. Um, I think that we could do them if if we got them. So England has won some big head to heads against. Yeah, it, I mean it's been it's been a spell, but no, and and I think Germany's such a weird case because, I mean, people are down on the manager a little, and some of the you know the results from the World Cup are still sort of fresh in their mind, although. Of all the this is and Drew, you you bet enough tennis. This is like when you bet, you know, Djokovic is playing a much lesser opponent, and you play the under eighteen and a half, yeah. And he and he just gets routined because he's not he doesn't he's care. Ready to go home, yeah. You you win your bet by being so incredibly wrong. I bet the second half over in the Germany South Korea match, like one and a half. So like I and we had German futures. Like I was very oh, yeah. sad, but I couldn't. That was one of the bets that in the world cup that I absolutely should not have won. And I, uh, a lot of love to the South Koreans and the Germans for letting them do that. But, uh, you know, and then people have watched Germany's last few matches here. They, it, it's Latvia, but like the, the attack looks good. So been. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've seen of all the stuff I've read, there's a lot of differing in opinions on Germany. I don't think I want to get in bed one way or the other with them or fading them. I guess I would agree with uh, the matchup, but I mean, it's a tough road to hoe for England, no matter what. I, I don't think teams ever should get cute and be like, "Oh, let's take second place in our group and set ourselves up," because you don't you don't know how it's all going to shake out with the third place teams and everything else. You know, you get too you get too smart by half and you end up in trouble. So I think yeah, just win your group because no matter what, you're going to either play France, Germany, or Portugal. It's not like one is so much incredibly easier and you could you could predict it. It'd be yeah. great not to play France. Like I would try to win. <laughs> I would assume France wins the group and I would try to win my group. 
say we'll take our chances with Germany or Portugal. Who knows? Maybe Hungary somehow gets second. Who the hell knows? Um, the I guess Full in, it, it, in breaking down what made Portugal and France especially dangerous the later you get into the tournament, I, I think you nailed it. The idea that you have a manager that has tact, superior tact, tactical um, you know, kind of elements to him is huge. Uh, does that mean that uh, we haven't mentioned Southgate? Is he a liability for England? Um, it's so hard to know because he, he's kind of really impressed everyone with certain aspects of management. I don't really think he's had enough of a run to be able to tell if he's that good at, t at the kind of the tactical side. I presume not if you're up against the likes of Deschamps and Santos and even Joachim Love, the German manager, um, just because he's a little bit more inexperienced. But he's it's it depends on what you what you value as the best traits in tournament football and what Southgate's done really well is get a real happy camp and it's just something that's just not happened with England. The media love to run up a storm up up, up to a, a major tournament with kind of breaking bad news stories to dry sell papers. Um, it's just not been allowed to happen because Southgate's got a real handle on things. I think his his levels of kind of even just going back to the kind of psychology of, of managers and how that can impact teams. He, he's kind of been so open with the media that's just made the players feel really relaxed. The media more on their side, and it's just made everyone feel a lot more comfortable in their own skin when they're following England. And you used to get these kind of dynamics in England when you had when you think of Manchester United and Arsenal when they used to proper go at it kind of 20 years ago when it was Wenger and uh, Alex Ferguson and all the players hated each other at different clubs so when they'd come together and play for England they wouldn't really like want to play with each other that's completely different now that they love it so yeah um, it's a completely different dynamic and it could take them a long way, I think. I think that's what they'll be hinging on. Um, I think in the big games, Southgate could do a little bit more. Um, it, but we've not really played too many top-class teams in tournament football under Southgate. The England run in the 2018 World Cup was pretty easy with yeah. Colombia, Sweden, and we had a, a pretty easy group too. And then we came up against Belgium in the... The one game in the third place playoff, and they kind of got torn apart a little bit there. So, yeah, it, 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 we can't really say as of yet. I don't want to say that he's bad because we we don't know. Everyone seems to be running with that, but um, I'm I'm happy to put my faith in him. Kind of giving the players the kind of freedom to express themselves and make their own decisions, which I think is something that's becoming more important in football now in soccer. <laughs> It's a good segue. We have a couple questions about Belgium, and we'll get we'll get to them quick. But just this is American Andy question now because you got me thinking. Like, what does Southgate do all the rest of the time when there's not international competition? Is he like is he like a shopkeeper? What what is that guy? Like, we don't have this over here. I, I mean, we do. We have. A, I should ask what our guy, what our coach does. I suppose. I think he just watches soccer. Yeah, just you just watch soccer. Get rid. You, I suppose you go to the academies, or I, what? What do these international coaches do in the years between these huge competitions? It's a good question. That's why a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people see it as quite an easy job. You know, you've not got the day in day out rigmarole of kind of having to deal with players every day. But I guess what his job is is. 
kind of dealing a lot with checking players' form kind of coming into the competition. So yeah, I suppose you'll see, you'll, you'll see Southgate pop up all over the place. Like it'll be at Aston Villa one week, it'll be at Southampton another, it'll be at Manchester City another. He he does visit the games um, to check up on players, but yeah, it's it's more about kind of. Um, how how he communicates himself to to the players and to the press that he'll be working on in his spare time. He'll be learning about different stuff and kind of keeping a low profile if he can, and um, just just try to set a a mentality kind of within the FA. Um, the FA have had this big plan in the last couple of years to kind of develop good youth players and. A different mentality and he's kind of the figurehead for that so all the questions will get sent to him for that but yeah it's a tough one i, I don't really yeah <laughs> all i all i know of that yeah. yeah from the, the what's the movie with the the damn united that's all i know of like the international yeah. coach and that was just a film so no that's a I kind of like that just was bothering me. But a question here from the chat, Belgium, good value. This is a team we liked a lot last year, a little less this year. But, I mean, in the chat here, Eric Larson says their path seems easy, both in the group stage, potentially a knockout. I know it's hard to predict, you know, where knockouts are. But if you do win your group, it should theoretically give you a little easier path, at least from the get-go. Yeah, I think that they're – they're probably a fair price. It wouldn't be for me, though, um, just because I mentioned before, you're looking at the, a good defensive side, um, and I look at France and Portugal's defensives and their setup, their manager as well. It, it's just much more reliable. Belgium have a manager in Roberto Martinez, who who was kind of a lower lower level Premier League manager over here. He managed Swansea and Wigan. Um, did pretty well with them. He went to Everton, did okay, but not. You wouldn't expect many Everton fans to speak that highly of him. And he managed to get this job, and he's done well. But they've been pretty. How can I put it? Like flat track bullies, what we call them over here. Um, just kind of swatting, swatting aside the lesser teams, and kind of when when the pressure's ramped up, they tend to struggle. And I just look at. They've got a few injury concerns coming into this as well. Uh, Hazard's not really been fit all season, um, and he, he's looked a bit kind of overweight as well. Um, I, I shouldn't really say that with the gut that I've got on me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, De Bruyne also picked up a, a weird injury. His face got face, messed he got up. Face, right? I, yeah, I think he's only going to miss game one, is what I've heard. Yeah, so that, that shouldn't be too bad for them, but I just look at whoever they've got available at the back. They like to play a back three, so three central defenders, because none of them can be kind of relied upon in a two because they're just too slow. So if you look at their centre-halves, you've got uh, two players who played it for Tottenham when they did well, uh, Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. They're both not really playing that much at a decent level anymore. Vertonghen went to Portugal to play for Benfica. It's not a, it's not too too kind of hard to play in that league compared to the Premier League. And then um, Vermaelen, who was at Arsenal, he's still in the squad. Players like that and Denier, they just got the centre half options aren't good enough if they're coming up against someone like uh, Kylian Mbappe in the later rounds. I, I just can't see them 
winning. But then the flip side, you look at who they've got going forward with Lukaku, Mertens, De Bruyne when he's fit. It's quite scary. Um, I really like Lukaku as kind of a an option in the top goal scorer market. Sure. I just think he's he's so good. Um, a lot of a lot of pundits over here look at him and say, "Oh, he's he's a big physical presence, and he, there's so much more to his game than that. He's such a good finisher. Um, his timing, his timing of his runs going forward is superb. His conversion rate's one of the best in Europe." Um, I think for expected goals, he was 11th in Syria this season, but he was only second behind Cristiano Ronaldo for actual goal output. So that shows how clinical he is. Um, and he, he's the, it's made for him, this team. Martinez has made this team uh, kind of geared towards getting the most out of Lukaku. And if De Bruyne is putting them balls through to him, it, it's going to be quite quite scary. But... Yeah, I'd look, I'd look at getting Belgium on side during the group stages, maybe in the round of 16 or even the quarters, but then maybe maybe fade them later on in the tournament um, and take a lay there. That's fantastic. So Yeah, I mean, we, we both kind of agreed on Russia being a little unknown yeah. for what they are. They might and then stink. They, they might stink. Finland probably stinks. <laughs> Finland like definitely the, stinks, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, is Pookie injured? Yeah, he is at the minute. Apparently, um, that was our guy. That we used to we used, uh, we used to bet on him at like any any goal scorer like in every Norwich match like yeah. two years ago or whatever it was when they were up. Yeah, here's like my that. here's my problem with backing Belgium to win this outright. They were the biggest sufferer of this being delayed a year because yeah. all of their players are so experienced and they were all top tier and like you mentioned like they, they like the team was well constructed they played well together uh and last year it felt like was sort of the tail end of the peak of a lot of these guys careers and now they're over the peak <laughs> and they're just a little <laughs> bit on the decline and i worry about a team like that that's a step slower that's you know that's gone through the rigors of a difficult you know a difficult um uh uh, campaign, uh, you know, na you know, nationally or you know, whatever the uh, club soccer program they they play in, um, and yeah, I feel like last year was their chance. Although I do think that they win Group D like eighty percent of the time. This looks yeah. like a very comfortable win in Group D, a uh, B, excuse me, B. Um, their only real competition is Denmark. They've handled Denmark comfortably uh, in the head to heads that they've had in the, in the run up here. Um, so I'm surprised to see Belgium is only minus 155 to win Group B. Um, that looks like an excellent, um, you know, parlay leg. If I was going to put together sort of a group, group part, group winner parlay leg, uh, Belgium is the the highest EV that I see across all the numbers there. Um, but yeah, they they would come out of Group B and they would play the uh, a third place team, and then the problem then is you run into Italy. In yeah. the quarterfinals. Yeah. Italy almost certainly wins Group A by my numbers. Another great parlay leg, by the way, if you're putting <laughs> putting a group winner parlay together. Italy is minus 220 right now. Uh, and as mentioned, they have a massive home field advantage over the other three contenders who have to go fly to Azerbaijan uh, to play their other games. Um, I guess, what is it about Italy that has sort of the market warmed up I've seen a lot of smart handicappers kind of tip them as a uh, a team to keep an eye on. Uh, is it as simple as 
their path is easy. Uh, obviously, Group A has an advantage anyway because all of your group matches, you have a nice little gap before you, you know, your schedule is a little bit more spaced out. You know, like you're not, you're not under this compression where you just are playing, you know, bang, 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 like the Group Fs will be. Um, what are your thoughts in general on Italy how, as they come in form wise and, and the market perception of this team being potentially uh, a dark horse? Yeah, I've I've also warmed to them um, over the last couple of months. Um, I think that the reason that they've kind of been backed in a little bit and the reason that the money's come for them is, is they've looked at kind of just how good they've been over the last two years, or, or pretty much since the manager, Roberto Mancini, came in, who's kind of won titles. Um, he's won at Inter, he's won at Manchester City over here. He He's kind of brought the best out of this team. Um, Italy are no longer a like What people usually think about Italy in international football is they're very, very defensive. Um, they, they don't score too many goals, but they've got a really good balance about the squad now, I think. Um, if you just look into like the data, um, kind of the XG data and stuff over Mancini's tenure, defensively it's been pretty much rock solid, but they're also smashing in loads of shots. Um, they're, they're playing with real confidence and they're playing in the system. It looks to be a 4-3-3 um, and it kind of gets the most out of the wealth of options in midfield. So you've got Marco Verratti, who's really such a good player. He's, he's shown it to be mainly the only real PSG player over the last couple of years who's consistently performed at a top, top level. And he, he could be fit again for the first match. We're not too sure. Um, but he'll be a key player for them going into the tournament. Uh, Nico Barella at Inter Milan has been unbelievable too. And they've got a really nice balance as well. Jorginho, Chelsea, he'll be the holding midfielder. He'll set the pace for this team. He'll just start the attacks. And they just look to have a lot a lot more control about the player. And that's borne out in the numbers because they're not conceding many. And they're firing them in up front. And when you've got Chido Mobile, who has smashed them in for Lazio, time and time again, but he's not really done it in an international shirt. Uh, there is a bit of pressure on him, but there's plenty of supporting cast in Belotti, Federico Chiesa, Juventus, um, Berardi at Sassuolo, who's had another good season. There's plenty of dynamism up front in this side, and I think that their group, they should, it's competitive apart from them, but yeah, I agree that they're a good, they're a good one to chuck into a parlay, um, especially with home advantage. And yeah, I think that if they get to the quarters against Belgium, I think that they win and go through. And then, then you're looking at a serious bet on your hands and then you can decide what you want to do with it. Um, so yeah, I can completely see the the reason for people getting behind the Italians. Um, you, you should never write them off. Especially at the number. And I think getting to, we haven't got to this, but it was something we brought up at the beginning. We liked the Dutch going into last year. We have come off that. Maybe maybe we should just let, let's, uh, and again, yeah, it's, it's a weak group. They might win their group because it's a weak group and they get it to play at home. But maybe Tom can explain what's better than us, what's going on between the Dutch squad and the Dutch manager right now. <laughs> Oh, it's it's an absolute shambles, to be honest, Andy. <laughs> um, 
that's the, that's the one word that I'm going to use to describe the Dutch at the minute. It's, it's, it's not a good time to be a Dutch fan because basically what's happened in the last kind of year or so, maybe a bit longer than that, the Dutch were building up some real momentum and there's a tournament called the Nations League, which is kind of like a... Kind of how you'd see the Europa League compared to the Champions League. This is the Champions League, that's the Europa League. Not, no one's really too bothered about it. But they went on a good run. Um, they got to the final uh, against Portugal. And that was a real surprise because they've not been a good side for probably since 2010 when they got to the World Cup final against Spain. Um, since then, they've they've not really produced the caliber of player, um, but they've started to to kind of in as Ajax kind of in the Champions League, it did so well. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that you guys will go on and you'll know about Frank de Boer probably more than most managers at this tournament with what he did at Atlanta, and you can probably tell me a bit more about how he fared there. But from the outside. I watched quite a bit of MLS back when he joined. Uh, it was Tata Martino before him at Atalanta who did a great job. They were a great team to watch. Scored plenty of goals uh, with Martinez up front. And they were a great team to follow uh, from an entertainment perspective. And he came in, ripped everything up and made them a bang average side. And I know how kind of the, the squad rotation and drafts and stuff work over there. Like it's... Teams do change all the time. and There's never really an outright favourite. Um, but he made that team a really poor team. And he's got a penchant for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't Ajax. Not what you want to be known for. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not. And really, I'm not, I'm not sure how a manager with a track record like his has managed to get a, a job like the Dutch international team job because uh, into Milan he, he did terribly he lasted a couple of months he came to England and managed Crystal Palace I think he lost every game um, and he was sacked uh, just players don't get on board with him I've heard some of his quotes coming out in the media saying that a player who is who he hasn't even called up to the squad is going to start at right wing for them at the tournament is not going to be there like it's just schoolboy errors. It's it's awful. So the the only way that you can kind of get against if if you want one reason to get against the Dutch, it's the manager doesn't have a clue what he's doing because it, it was the fourth choice coming into it uh, when Ronald Ronald Koeman got the Barcelona job and he did well. Um, De Boer's an awful candidate to be. Okay, they could do with plenty more. Here's the key question: Then is he so bad that someone else can sneak in and win? Group C. Mm. Even uh, yeah, even against the, like a the Ukraine home, the home field advantage, home pitch, whatever. Yeah, I, I think Ukraine are, are my team to follow here. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of lay the Dutch off at them, then I'd kind of look at trying to get on board with Ukraine because they're a team. They're pretty much the opposite to what the Dutch are. They they know what they're about. They've got a manager there, in Andrei Shevchenko, who's a legend. I mean, I'm thinking about the, this current Ukraine setup. It, there's quite a lot of young players, quite similar to England, and they they kind of grew up watching Shevchenko as their kind of idol, and he's managing them now. So you, there's no better place to be for a Ukraine Ukrainian footballer, kind of 20 or 25 years old, and 
they've got a whole host of them there. And they're, they're a team that um, defensively they've shown real, real kind of resolve. They've kept plenty of clean sheets. And even though it's quite a young defence, and it's a defence made up of teams playing in Ukraine, which a lot of people won't have heard of, but um, kind of scouts over here and in Germany, Italy, are kind of looking at these players thinking they're, they're going to make the step up very, very soon, um, given how solid they are. And then they've got the quality of someone like Ruslan Malinovsky at Atalanta, who's a midfielder, who is just a chief creator. He'll cause havoc um, against this Dutch side. I think that he... He could um, be a nice little outside bet as a top scorer as well. Um, All right, I, I got to revisit my bracket. I think I want Ukraine and <laughs> C. I, no, because because Ukraine plus four sixty five right now to win Group Six. C. Why not? That seems like a damn decent price. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite kind of bigger prices in in these kind of markets. Because um, I'm I'm not totally enamored with Austria. Um, I've got to be honest. And North Macedonia, they'll give it a go, but that's a um, place. <laughs> country yeah. in Europe, really. yeah. and, and drew drew you'd said you were <clears throat> kind of fading the ukraine because you couldn't find results before 1992 <laughs> <laughs> so i'm kind of looking at their page right now no what's funny is that they're in the bottom quarter of the knockout stages there's only one first place finishing team and it's group c and group c is super weak so that little quarter there is kind of the 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 sweet spot you want to land in if you have a bad round. You know, if you if you end up doing poorly in the round robin, you want to end up in that bottom quarter, and you can probably sneak your way into the semifinals. Realistically, uh, I think Portugal, if they finish third in Group F, is is probably that team that you would circle to be able to do that. Um, but before we before I reveal my bracket. Before I get your feedback on some of my picks, um, I haven't heard many people make a strong case that Spain is among the true contenders here. Uh, you, ha you have a very clear price differentiation between the three teams at the top, France, England, and Belgium, and then the next tier, which includes Germany, Portugal, and Spain. That doesn't entirely check out to me. Um, oh, and by the way, while we were here, Italy just got whacked from 1450 to 800 at Bookmaker while we were talking. That's interesting. Um, I wonder who put that bet, bet in. But anyway, um, Spain at plus 860 to me, I have them getting to the finals. Uh, I think the path is pretty favorable for them. I think this team is a lot better than the team we saw at World Cup last time around uh, and the team that crashed out of the previous World Cup and the previous Euro. Um, what is your read on this Spain team? Have they got enough fresh blood, enough turnover, enough youth, enough offense uh, to, you know, kind of to be as dynamic as some Spain teams that have lifted the trophy in the past? Yeah, I think they've they've got that kind of um, youth, youthful exuberance, if you will. I think if you look at what the manager Luis Enrique has done, he, there's two ways that you could look at this. He's kind of gone against the status quo, and he's he's brought in. Emmerich Laporte at centre-half as an option, who's not played that much for Manchester City. And he's dropped Sergio Ramos, who's been the captain, penalty taker, kind of the key man for Spain in the last kind of 10 years. So he's made some big, big calls. And it, it's a good thing in one way because it, it kind of it's putting real faith in these younger players. But also you're losing the, the leadership of someone like a Ramos who that leadership could really prevail to be something massive come kind of the sem semi-finals, kind of final 
But yeah, I, I think the price is interesting on Spain. They're, they're a team that I've kind of looked at now and again to, to see if I want to get with them. Um, I, I just think that their their midfield could get overrun a little bit. Um, the likes of Thiago, who's really good on the ball. He went to Liverpool from Bayern Munich. But if you look at how fast tempo the Premier League is, he's really struggled with um, kind of keeping up with the pace. And I think that they they could get done kind of down the sides at fullback. You've got a Jordi Alba possibly he's in the squad, but I just I just think that up front they've got an issue too. They've got Gerard Moreno who could start Ferran Torres. They don't have a number nine, and it's been a problem for Spain for a long time. Uh, ever since they had kind of David Villa and Fernando Torres, kind of what, 12, 12 years ago, kind of with. We're looking back to that classic Spain team with kind of Xavi and Iniesta and some real quality. Them players are long gone and uh, the likes of Busquets, I'm not sure he's completely up to it anymore either. So um, I think against a team who have a lot of verve about them, a team who, who are dynamic, uh, Spain could struggle. Um, even against England, I'd favour England over, over Spain in a one-off game personally. Um, we've, we've done that over them a couple of times. But I do think their draw, as you mentioned, Drew, is quite nice. And I think that if you're doing kind of a back-to-lay, that kind of part of the market, then uh, Spain, I couldn't put anyone off, to be honest, no. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the fact that they leave Sergio Ramo off the <laughs> roster, positive or negative? Um, I think negative. Personally, uh, I'm not as massive. I'm not a massive fan of him, to be honest. But I think that he's a cheater. Yeah, he's a dirty cheater. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's not kind of well revered over here. Um, he, he likes to kind of act up, but I think them kind of characters are, are big in tournament football. Mm. Um, but you, you just don't know how other players get on with these kind of players. I, I presume that they they get on with him, but. Um, yeah, I'd I'd rather have him in my squad um, as a as an experienced option in a tournament knockout game like the Euros is. Um, I'd rather have him than not. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go through some of my predictions. Andy, I'll give you a chance to respond. Tom, we'll give you a, a chance to rebut here. Uh, let me share. Uh, and yeah, real quick, I just want to kind of blow through here and then talk through some of the tips that I think are worthy. Um, Italy to win Group A, smash. Love that as a parlay leg in a group parlay. Um, Belgium is to win Group B, smash. Um, the exact result of uh, Italy-Turkey, 1-2 in Group A is a fun one. Exact result, Belgium-Denmark in Group B, 1-2 is a fun one. Um, and then I'm going to revisit my Group C here. It's possible I'm going to flip-flop and or at least take a price on Ukraine at plus 465 to win Group C. Uh, group D, a little bit uncontroversial i think england beats croatia in the first match and then carries on to win group d croatia gets through second group e slam dunk spain another good parlay leg in fact i got a great price putting italy belgium spain together and as a trouble uh to win each a group a b and e respectively uh group f is anyone's guess i just yeah kind of i just kind of thought what i think actually happens and then put hunger at the end and fill in the rest predict the four place the fourth place teams. I think Wales can beat Switzerland. Uh, so I put them going through. I think Scotland can beat Czech Republic. So I put them going through. And I think Slovakia can beat Poland. 
Uh, so I put them going through Portugal, probably gets a, a clean win over Hungary and maybe a, a draw elsewhere, elsewhere. So they probably go through as well. This would make the knockout bracket look like this. Happily taking Belgium and Italy, happily taking France and Croatia, uh, likely getting Italy, France in my semifinals. We'll put Spain and England through. Portugal sneaks into this, the, the best part of the bracket here. This little four-team uh, four corner is so weak. Anyone could come through who gets into this mess. Uh, Spain, England. I took Spain, but you make a fair case for England there. Uh, and then we'll put France and Spain into my final with France winning the title. Um, sounds like you would have England potentially through. How would they match up against the Port Portugal in the, the semifinals? Is, is, would this be where their path ends? France, yeah. Portugal. Possibly, yeah. Um, I think that, that that is the worry against that two you want to avoid, in my opinion, Portugal and France. Oh, you can avoid them. The better. And then if you get to a final against one of them in a one-off game, I mean, anything could happen, but uh, yeah, I think my, my views are relatively in line with you, to be honest with you. I think that I can see France get to the final. Um, yeah, I, I think that it could be it could be two teams from that group that end up playing off against each other again. The 2016 final, of course. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Andy, what would you do differently? Yeah, I just I have England out sooner. I'd have them losing to the runner up there. I I did. I ended up going Portugal, Portugal, France for my final. I think I had you know uh, Ger Germany over Spain, or honestly that one's a coin flip for me. Germany probably a slight advantage there, but then Portugal over Germany. Uh, I'm pretty sure my top was fairly similar. I might have had a Croatian. I, I don't know if we're giving Croatia. And honestly, uh, our guy Julian here said the same thing. Sweden might be able to give. I don't. I don't think I picked it, but Croatia getting a little maybe too much respect off the last run based on you know Luca was great. That was a lot of fun. It was a really good team. I enjoyed playing. I think we had some outrights on them, and oh, yeah. uh, it was it was fun getting them that far, but maybe getting a little too much respect based on previous results. So they could be upset early. So it, it might just be France flying through again, and the, the top might be pretty easy there. So, But Belgium, Belgium, Italy will be a really good one. That could go either way. But, yeah, I think uh, France, probably France, Portugal is where I'm sticking with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that seems fair. Um, that that Croatia Sweden game actually takes place in Copenhagen, so right in the uh, up up there in Scandinavia, practically a yeah, home game for Sweden. They, the Danes could have something to say about your treble, and then well, you, know, well, you think you think Denmark can beat Belgium head to head? You want to go home, look at those at past performances? It's been a while. Well, they, they, I mean, even a draw might get it there, depending on how the tiebreakers work. Okay, so Belgium That's the is thing where about you're the soccer. Most they tie a lot. So of of my looks, Belgium is where you're most concerned. A little bit, just because Denmark can be, you know, ten Denmark can be playing well enough at home. I suppose to just if I'm Denmark, I'm playing for a draw against Belgium. Try to get the group that way. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, I guess one final question for you, Tom, and then we'll Die. and then we'll wrap. Uh, as you look across the top goal score market and considering that we are in 
the age of VAR, <laughs> how important is it to get a guy that is taking penalties for his given team uh, when you're taking a swing away at a guy who will be top goal scorer? Yeah, it's, it's massive. I mean, we've just seen in the Premier League and all, all the kind of big big leagues over here how much of a difference it makes in the kind of betting for top goal scorers, betting for just goal scorers outright as well. It does make a massive difference, so it's definitely one to look at. Um, even if you look at the top team goal scorers, um, if you look at kind of if there's any defenders on penalties, for instance, there's a guy called Ricardo Rodriguez for Switzerland, who's a left back, but he will be on penalty kicks, um, according to his manager. So maybe even looking at something like that could be a decent way in. But yeah, it, it's a massive thing to consider these days because the penalty averages have just skyrocketed since that. Um, I think it's just a bit of a joke how much it's become uh, prevalent. It, it's just seeing penalty kick after penalty kick. Also, have a look at kind of referees and who, who are giving plenty of penalties. There's a referee called Michael Oliver, an Englishman who, who loves to give a penalty. He'll be officiating at this tournament. So check out what games he's on and um, kind of play the over. <laughs> Michael Oliver, make a note of that. Yeah, Michael yeah, o um, Over. Okay. I think that you've you've got to consider penalty takers, um, but again, if you're wanting some each way value at big prices, then there's plenty of options in in these kind of markets too. I like it. I like it. Michael all over. Mike Dean, that's my that's the only ref I know. I, I'm a big Mike Dean guy. I like I like a ref who makes a little bit of a spectacle. And the, and then the other thing too, I did talk to a couple people about um, even producer Dan. Producer Dan's a big fan of uh, soccer, English football, what have you. We talked a little about that earlier. It's like you kind of got to find this perfect balance of they're a good player on a team that isn't going to spread their goal scoring around a ton. But it yeah. still needs to be a team that probably makes at least the semifinals. At least the quarters, probably the quarters, the, the quarters is maybe enough if the guy has a really good knock or a really good group stage. But probably the semifinals. Um, just a little brag. It wasn't my bet, but I, it was in one of my accounts, so it doesn't matter. I got the money. But like, <laughs> you know, somebody can have early early round success and just put up a bunch of goals for a team where they're the primary goal scorer, like Erling Holland. He was the highest goal scorer for the Champions League. And I don't think they – yeah, he certainly was. Maybe quarterfinals they were knocked out. But it was like, well, he already had 10. You know, if, if you can find somebody like that that you think is going to take a bunch of pinos, somebody that's going to score a bunch in the group stage, maybe some easy matchups for him to get some, get some easy goals there, maybe quarters are enough. Andy, is this the second international competition in a row where the best player was from Norway and was not in the tournament? Yeah, the women. I forgot the women's world. That's that's true. This is wild. There's no Erling Holland in this tournament because Norway did not qualify. Wow. Um, okay. Any any kind of last last minute thoughts on any teams that are like I cannot wait to bet the over or the under because they're just style of play or you know just the it just the way they uh, approach the game. Yeah, I, I think that if you're looking at unders. You've got to look at Portugal. Um, they're a team to get on with the unders. With the despite all the kind of attacking players that they've got, they've got so many as well. 
it's just not in the manager's philosophy to do that. Also, um, I'd be looking at overs potentially in the North Macedonia games because I'm expecting quite low lines in them, especially against Austria and Ukraine because you're going to expect Macedonia to be playing quite defensive football, but I don't really think that they will, if I'm honest. I think that this is kind of a, a one-off for them, and um, they, they could be a team who will kind of relish playing on the break. They've got a couple of dangerous players, players going forward, and I think if there's quite low totals on the, on the goal line for North Macedonia games, I'd be tempted to go with the overs, um, but also overs in Belgium. It's simple. Okay. Overs in Belgium, unders in Portugal is kind of the best way to go. <laughs> um, I'd also um, probably go unders in uh, the Slovakia group quite often as well, because Spain playing in Seville, where it's going to be really hot in summer, um, especially that last game, Spain play Slovakia in Seville, and it's 6pm local time, so it's going to be still really hot there. Um, Slovakia are really poor going forward. Um, one of the lowest scoring teams, their XG totals were really poor as well. So kind of get against, maybe look at teams to beat Slovakia to nil or something like that. Or just back a 1-0, 2-0 correct score, something something along those lines. Because I can't see them scoring many goals. Now Slovakia will be coming from St. Petersburg. So I'm sure the temperature adjustment will be uh, not not welcome for a lot of those players. That's a, that's a ton of fun. All right, Andy, any last questions or should we put a bow on this bad boy? Did have one from the chat. I think it was like Finland under one and a half points for the groups. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody asked that. I, there's some of those. Those are those are tough because you end up with some dead some dead rubbers in the third match sometimes. So it can be a little tricky, but yeah, I mean, I I don't see how they get a win. Finland's yeah. third match is against Belgium, so even in that case, I think they lay it on them. Yeah, yeah. I don't hate that. I, th- I think that's a that's a fine play. I've seen a lot of people going against them, especially Pukki's injured. Um, the the other teams that they're probably only looking at getting something against Russia. I think Denmark are a really really solid team. They'll probably win to nil against Finland. Um, so yeah, it's whether they can beat Russia, really, and I don't think they will. So yeah, I, I think that's a fine bet. Finland under one point five points. I dig cool. it. I dig it. All right. Well, this was a ton of fun, Tom. Thank you for your time. Where can people find you on Twitter, and uh, what kind of stuff can they look forward to as you go through the tournament? Cheers. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter at TomLove18. Um, you can just find us on there. And we'll we'll be posting plenty of stuff. Kind of, I'll, I'll be kind of previewing every game pretty much um, for for a website called Odds Checker. But also, we um, me and my colleague Marco here, who I know a lot of people will, if they watch kind of your your podcast on Matchbook Drew, they'll be aware of Mark. Um, kind of on on the football side of the soccer side of things. So. Yeah, um, me and him kind of run a, run a Telegram service, so we'll be putting all our kind of favourite fancies in there. That's um, that's on Twitter, at WLBGold, called We Love Betting. Um, it's a site that we've run for quite a while now, and it, it's going to be covering everything. We've produced that guide as well, which you can still get online. Um, if you just go on the We Love Betting Twitter account, um, you can find all the information on there on how to get it. Can just get it straight away onto your 
onto your laptop or any of your devices and kind of get stuck in and find out all the angles that we've kind of looked into. Yeah, that was quite comprehensive. A couple hundred pages worth of information, a lot of good tips. And, you know, it, for someone who doesn't follow international soccer year round, it was extremely helpful to have kind of a, a crash course in what to expect. And I think I've helped me really crystallize a lot of my, uh, you know, handicapping angles for this one. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, should we wrap? Sissipas just almost made a mess of this match. I'm going to watch the rest of it now. He had, he had, he was cruising and then his first serve just completely. Yeah. Uh, abandoned him so i'm gonna go settle down and hope that he pulls this together it is that time of day so yeah. Yeah, appreciate the time tom if anyone has any other questions obviously you know ask him on twitter not us <laughs> we, we have some ask us too yeah, i'll I mean, give you i'll give you too. i'll give you a take it might not be right but yeah, I'll it might not be the take. best take yeah yeah so but yeah we definitely look forward to uh following along with your content over the next month for sure yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate you having us on. Congrats, chat. Yep. All right. Best of luck. And uh, even though I won't be rooting for England, I'll be rooting for them in spirit. Uh, I won't be rooting for them financially, but I'll be rooting for them in spirit, I guess. So. All right. Best of luck. <laughs> you too. I like that uh, Ukraine group. Uh, Group C a lot. That's going to be a fun one. Plus 450, man. Big price, isn't it? It is. Of course we're rooting for France, Julian. We have French <laughs> futures. We all have French futures, correct. Even though you I guys, don't know, I still don't know if it was, I still don't know if it was the right thing to do it before the tournament.